Jesus, we are grateful for the ways that you love us. We are grateful for the ways that you have rescued us. And Lord, I ask that by the power of your Spirit, you help us understand the words of Scripture that we just read and how they apply to us. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, there's a movie called The Purple Rose of Cairo that's about a love-starved woman who goes to the movies every single day. And one day, the hero of one of the movies steps off the screen into real life and takes her on this whirlwind romance. But being a film character, he does everything perfectly. He says the right things, he does the right things, kisses perfectly, all of that. So in one of the scenes, she's talking to a friend and she says, I met the perfect man the other day. He's fictional, but you can't have everything. <laughs> I think that captures something that is true about us. We are all looking to be loved perfectly. We are a culture in some ways obsessed with love. I typed the word into Amazon.com and I got 1.7 million returns, 1.7 million books on love with some really cool titles like Stop Getting Dumped. That was one of the titles. It kind of says it all. Or Strategies of Human Mating. You think that guy gets a lot of dates with a title like that? That's the best you can do? We are a culture, I think, obsessed with finding love. So let me ask this question. If that's true, why is our divorce rate over 50%? Why do so many kids say they don't feel loved by their parents? Why do so few people have not just buddies, but friends who really know the real stuff in our lives? For a culture with 1.7 million books on love and even more songs about it, we don't seem to be doing it very well. So what if... What if instead of loving the way our culture tells us to love, what if we loved with Jesus kind of love? Because as it turns out, they're not the same. How much better, how much more fun would our marriages, our friendships, our families be? Because if there is any word that our culture has messed up, I think it is the word love. We have turned it into this sissy, ooey, gooey, syrupy blah of emotion, you know, just like this endless Oprah Winfrey show kind of a thing which is a huge turnoff to a lot of people. I think men especially often struggle around topics like this. Love, I mean, it's an emotion. I don't have one of those, right? What do I do with this? And we start to think, well, you know, when it comes to love, women just kind of have the edge. They have the advantage. I think that's because we don't understand what real love is all about. It is the most powerful force in the universe, biblical love. God's love created the entire universe. And nothing can change a life. Nothing is more potent. Nothing is more powerful than God's kind of love. And all of us can do this. Women and guys, we can do it too. We may express it differently, but we can do it. If we understand how Jesus' love differs from our culture's kind of love. And that's what the Apostle Paul that's why he wrote this very famous passage out of 1 Corinthians. We've all heard it before. That's why he wrote it. You see, he didn't write this just so that there'd be something to read in weddings. You know, he wasn't sitting there going, hey, we need a wedding verse, right? He was writing it to the church at Corinth, which has the distinction of being the worst church in history, right? That's kind of their badge. Corinth was a very affluent city, super affluent, where folks thought the good life meant having a prestigious job, having a lot of comfort, having a lot of money, a lot of sexual freedom, right? That was what's going on in Corinth. So totally different than our culture today, but we're going to look at it anyway. And they worshipped the goddess of love at Corinth. 
And the way they did that was to have sex with temple prostitutes inside the temple. In fact, there was even a Greek verb called to Corinthianize, which meant to live immorally. I mean, how would you like it if they had a verb about us, right? To Bellevue-fy, <laughs> or Redmondize, or Botholate, right? I mean, that one just sounds bad. So Paul writes to them and says, your culture's definition of love is wrecking you. And it's leading you to do things like sleeping with your stepmother and suing each other and fights and brawling, all of which were going on at the church in Corinth. At the church in Corinth. I mean, it just makes me feel so much better as a pastor whenever I... <laughs> I am way ahead. So Paul writes this chapter to say, this is what real love looks like. Now you read that chapter and it can be a pretty intimidating chapter, right? Love is all these things. It is patient. It is kind. It doesn't do this. It doesn't do that. It doesn't do all the things I do and it does the things I don't do. And you can think, oh man, great, you know? How am I going to ever live up to that? I give my sermons to a group of people from this church every Thursday morning at 6.30 and they critique the sermons in the hopes that I can do something about it by Sunday. Sometimes it's a vain hope, but... Well, this Thursday, the minute I got done reading this scripture, I hadn't even done the sermon. I just read the scripture. You know, love is patient, love is kind, love is all. It's one of our elders bursts out, oh, crap. <laughs> because it's just so intimidating, right? Here's the thing. Do not hear this passage as a list of duties you have to go do. Great, I have to go out and do all these things. Don't hear it that way. Hear this passage two ways. The first is this. This is how God loves you. This is a description of Jesus. He is patient with you. He forgives you. He loves you. God loves you. There's not a darn thing you can do about it. And this is how he loves you. Second way to hear this passage, this is a promise. If we love with Jesus' kind of love, others will love us like this in return. Not everybody, not all the time, but often. If we give this love away, I think it was the Beatles, right? They wrote a song, and in the end, the love we take is equal to the love we make. Right? Remember that? They were so high when they wrote that. But they came up with a good idea. What we give away is what comes back to us. If we love like Jesus loves, our marriages, our friendships, parenting, everything gets better. It just works. I mean, what our culture doing is doing isn't, right? So, practically speaking, how do we love with Jesus' kind of love as opposed to our culture's? The first, and I'm going to spend almost all the sermon on this one point right here. Love empowers others to be everything they were created to be. That's what real love does. Love empowers others to, be, to, and to become everything they were created to be. Another way to put it is real love breathes life into people. It gives life to people. That is very different than our culture's idea of love. Just listen to the songs on the radio. Right? Every song is this kind of, oh, baby, baby, I just got to have you. I can't fight this feeling anymore kind of a thing. Well, who's that about? The singer, right? It's focused not on the other person. It's focused, it's self-focused. It's about having the other person, obtaining the other person, and getting our needs met through the other person rather than breathing life into their soul, which creates this kind of tug of war. You try to get the other person to meet your needs. They're trying to get you to meet theirs, and you're going opposite directions. Pretty soon, everyone's unhappy because no one's getting what they want. But if you reverse the cycle... 
and instead try to breathe life into the other person's, many times they will reciprocate and begin to meet your needs as well. It just is a healthier cycle. You see, biblically speaking, love is not a feeling. It's an action. Look at what the passage says, just some of the verbs. Love protects. Love is a protective thing. It defends, it protects. Love rejoices. Love hopes. Love perseveres. Not feelings. Those are actions, verbs. Love is a commitment to empower the other person to become everything they were created to be, to breathe life into their soul. I saw how true this can be the summer that Jeopardy saved my marriage. That's an overstatement, but it sounded like a good book title, so I thought I'd throw it out there. <laughs> and now you're interested, right? Well, a few years ago, Christine and I were having just kind of a really stressful summer. This was a couple years ago. Kids were acting up. I was busy at work. So there was some tension in the home. And I was not breathing life into her soul, so I was told. But I was working really hard to try to keep the peace, right? I'm doing all these chores, I'm, 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 you know, household projects, stuff like that, just trying to keep the peace, right? Well, I was talking about this to a friend of mine, and he said, hmm, sounds like your main goal is just to keep from getting nagged. Who's that about, Scott? You or her? And then my friend went on, he said, you know, I heard this great sermon recently about how a husband's assignment from God is to help his wife become everything she was created to be. It was a good sermon. Guess whose it was? <laughs> I hate it when people quote me to me. <laughs> well, about this time, Christina was going to be on Jeopardy. Quirky thing. We don't even watch the show, but she tried out on a whim. And she was trying to figure out childcare so that she could go to LA to film because I had to work and I just felt the Holy Spirit nudge me in prayer and said you know what she is with these kids all the time and she almost never gets to have fun and suddenly I really wanted her to just go and have fun so I said look I will take time off work even though there was tons for me to do I'll reschedule everything I said don't just fly down for a day and back stay down there have a good time enjoy yourself I'll watch the kids I had a blast I got to spend the time playing catch with my son and games with my daughter. I let them stay up late. I let them eat lots of cookies. <laughs> I ate lots of cookies. Cookies for dinner, cookies for lunch, cookies for breakfast. I don't think she's in here, so I think I'm good. So it was so cool. And every time Christina called me from LA, she was having this great time. She didn't win on Jeopardy, but she still had lots of fun. And, and she came back, she was relaxed. She was affectionate. Everything changed in the house. Now, that was a small thing. Not this monumental act of service. It's just a small thing. But when I focused on her instead of me and tried to breathe life into her, it all worked better. And I have been doing that perfectly ever since. <laughs> you don't believe me. Now, this has to be genuine. You can't do it manipulatively. But when we focus on others, it just gets better. One of our elders said there used to be a woman she volunteered with who just would always corner her and talk endlessly. Ever had one of those? And so this elder started to avoid this woman. She would see her coming and just dart off the other way, right? But then, you know, she started to think, you know, Jesus probably wouldn't dart off the other way. So she prayed, God, what should I do? And she got a thought from God that said, affirm her. 
And then God brought to mind all the things this other woman did really, really well. So the next time this elder saw this woman, she didn't even let the woman have a chance to speak, just kind of cut her off at the pass and started to affirm her on all the things she does well. And she said the woman's face visibly changed. And from then on, she was less talkative. And our elder said when it became about her, not how I felt around her, it got better. When we try to empower others and breathe life into them, it just works better. And often, we get that kind of love back in return. So, let me suggest some practical steps to take for the month of February, the month of love. (laughs) But... Don't make me laugh. I want you to think of one or two people, not a long list, one or two people, friends, spouse, kids, parents, whatever it is. Focus on them for a month. Try to breathe life into them. Ask God to give you ideas how to do that. Maybe try to figure out or ask them what makes them feel affirmed. Is it gifts? Is it words of encouragement? Is it service? Is it time? Maybe it's simply to send an email to a friend that says, you know what I appreciate about you is, or send that to a coworker. You know, I have several emails from friends like that that I have kept for years. They are so powerful. You know, and and if folks start to suddenly ask you, hey, what's wrong with you? Why are you being so nice? What do you want? You know, just say, hey, I'm trying to follow Jesus. Open up a conversation. Husbands, the most intimidating day in the guy year is in two weeks. Valentine's Day. So here's what you're going to do. Out of the three years I did men's fraternity, this was the most helpful suggestion I gave. It may be the most helpful suggestion I've ever given as a pastor. So here's what you are going to do. Men, you are going to buy your wife a card. And you are not just going to sign it, love you, babe. No. You are going to write a list, an itemized list of what you love about your wife. And you will have more than two things on that list. You are going to do this because I am your pastor and I speak for God. (laughs) Now, guys, I know I just lost some of you way back on the word card. (laughs) And some of you are thinking, shut up, pastor. The wife's right here and now she expects it. Yes, she does. Man up. But when I told the men's fraternity guys to do this, I had dozens of women and men for months afterwards saying how helpful that one little thing was. Even if your marriage is tough right now, do it anyway. When I counsel couples in crisis and I ask them to talk about what they still love about their spouse, you can just see the tension begin to diminish. Now, it's going to take more than a card to heal a broken marriage. It's going to take prayer and forgiveness and time and counseling, but it's a start. And wives, receive the card well. Okay, don't be counting how many items are on it. Okay, there's only three, right? Don't. No, thank you. Another suggestion would be to go to the two upcoming events that are happening on the east side. Men, first for you. Go hear quarterback John Kitna talk about how to love well. And then for couples, Valentine's Day lunch, Maidenbauer Center, Doctors Les and Leslie Parrott will be talking about how to have a good relationship. Encourage you, sign up today. Women, maybe for you, you could let your husband know what you admire about him, what you respect about him. 
Men want the admiration and the respect of their wives, and sometimes they don't feel like they always get it. I think it was Jim Carrey who said, you know, behind every successful man is a woman rolling her eyes. <laughs> We need your respect. Love empowers others to become everything they were meant to be and breathes life into them. How can you do that for your spouse, a friend, coworker, neighbor, family member? Okay, two more quick things. Second, thing love does, real love tells the truth. As Corinthians puts it, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. What that means is that if someone is doing something that is messing up their lives, we owe it to them to say something, to confront them about this. And this is not what our culture says, right? Because our culture's number one virtue is tolerance. But tolerance is not a virtue. Love is a virtue. As you've heard me say before, if a friend were to say to me, Scott, I just want you to know how much I tolerate you, It doesn't feel good. <laughs> Tolerance is just another word for I don't care how much you hurt yourself. Love means we will confront people from time to time. Now, you don't do that judgmentally. You respect the other person's free will. So a good way to say it is, I'm worried about you. This behavior is going to hurt you, even if it seems good now, long term. So for your own sake, I think you should stop. I'm going to be here. I'm going to love you no matter what. But just for your own sake, really, stop. Real love tells the truth. And then finally, love believes the best is possible for someone. Or as this text puts it, love always hopes rather than keep a lengthy record of wrong. Some of you know the comedian Rodney Dangerfield. He used to joke, you know, I don't get any respect. He said one of his lines was, I don't, even at home, I don't get any respect. First thing my wife says to me in the morning is, and furthermore, right? that's not love. Real love believes the best is possible for someone, which means we stick with people and we don't give up on them. That's what real love does. Now, you look at that list, and that is a tall order, right? And you can go, how do I get there? How do I do this? How do I learn to love like this? Three things real quick. First, connect to God's love for you. As I said, this description of love is really a description of how Jesus loves you. Jesus is patient with you. Jesus hopes all things for you. Jesus believes in you. He protects you. And when we connect to his love through prayer or listening for those thoughts that pop into our heads that, are, that sometimes come from him, or just thinking about the fact that he loves us, it gets easier to love other people. Second, ask God to help you. We can't do this on our own. Ask God to help you. Like the elder I told you about with the chatty friend. God helped her love that woman well. Ask for help. And then the third is seek their best. The truth is we love what we invest in. We love who we invest in. And it is very hard to serve someone over time without coming to love them too. I have a friend who's a pastor, and he talks about how well his dad loved him. He talks about as a kid, he played t-ball, which he says is baseball in its purest form, you know, because the ball is on this little stand, and, and, and it's easy to hit, and none, no, none of the kids can catch, so you hit a home run every time, right? So he said that he was surprised. He said, I was surprised when I got to Little League where the ball is not on a tee. Instead, some kid hurls it at your face. And he said, I was not a good hitter. But he said the scariest moment was walking over to my father after the game, wondering what he would think of his son who could not hit. 
But strikeout after strikeout, he never once wavered in his love for me or his pride in me. It was like nothing could diminish how much he loved me. But he said he also knew that I was a t-ball kid in a baseball world. So one day he said to me, my son, there's a kind of t-ball that you can play your whole life where there are no kids hurling balls at your face and where the ball doesn't go 300 feet, it goes 300 yards. And there are challenges over land and water that will strengthen your character or drive you insane. It's called golf, but don't let that scare you. It's just a long game of t-ball. And he says, looking back, I can see how much my dad loved and believed in me, but he also knew that I needed instruction, and he gave it to me so that I could flourish. Now, I'm not even sure my friend's dad likes golf, but my friend turned into a pretty good golfer because of his dad's instruction, because his dad focused on him, not his own ego needs, got to have a son, does baseball, right? He told the truth in love, baseball not your gift, but he also believed the best was possible and led him to something more suited to him, helped him become his best self and breathed life and confidence into his son. Not a major thing. We're talking daily things. That's what real love is. One last example. There's a woman I know who grew up the quintessential good kid, good grades, good behavior, but in college she started dating a guy who said that he would leave her if she did not have sex with him. Well, she wanted his, quote, love, so she gave in, got pregnant, and then he left. But then a kind of cool thing happened. The pastor at her church and his wife kind of took her under their wing. And this woman had, hadn't experienced a lot of love from her, her own father, and this pastor became a kind of father figure to her. And she says he would say the same thing to her every day. He would see her every day. He would say, you are beautifully and wonderfully made in Christ, and don't you ever forget it. You are beautiful inside and out, and you deserve a man who will commit to all of you, not just want your body. So don't you settle for a boy because you deserve a man, because you are beautifully and wonderfully made in Christ, and you are his daughter. That gave her a whole new sense of self a whole new sense of self-esteem. He breathed life into her. He protected her. He was the defender of her soul. And then he introduced her to his brother and sister-in-law who'd been trying to have a baby, but they couldn't. And so this woman gave her baby to them for adoption, still sees the child from time to time, but that couple became her child's parents. A few years later, she met a great guy who treated her right, and now they've got a great marriage. Because that pastor and his wife showed her a biblical kind of love. They focused on her. They, they, they tried to breathe life into her. They told her the truth. Your behavior has hurt you. But they also believe the best. You deserve more. And their love changed her life. But also theirs, because she became a kind of daughter to them who is now returning the love they gave to her back to them. That's what Jesus' kind of love does. It is the most powerful potent force in the whole universe. His love created the universe. His love made the blind man see, the deaf man hear, the lame man walk. His love makes all things new. That includes you. There is nothing more powerful than Jesus' kind of love. So what if, what if, what if we started to love our spouse or friends or family members with this kind of love? How would that make those relationships more fun, more filled with joy, bigger, richer, deeper, better? Because you see, when we are powered by God's kind of love, then we walk in his authority, we live in his victory, and we shine in his joy, and everything just gets better. So who are you going to love this week? 
Lord Jesus, I ask in your name that you would help us to have the kind of love that you give us. Help us to receive it. Help us to give it away in a way that changes other people's lives as well as our own so that people can see who you really are and so that we can have the abundant life you came to give us. Jesus, help us get there. We can't do it without you. We pray this in your name. Amen.